the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the fourth chapter. Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables he spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. After King David had defeated his enemies and brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, he called the prophet Nathan and he said, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. David had in mind to build a home for God, not unlike St. Peter, who in his confusion tried to build a home for Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Certainly, it was a noble ambition. After all, the promise of God still spoke clearly from his scriptures, I will dwell among my people, and I will be their God. The basic mistake, however, is thinking that something constructed by human hands can serve as the dwelling place of God. And so God told David not to build him a house. Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I rescued you from Egypt. Have I ever asked you for a house? No, no, God said, I will build for you a house. And God gave to David a tremendous promise. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his throne forever. The father was talking about Jesus, his son, who is the son of David, who would build a house for God, a temple, but not the kind made with human hands. He would be the temple himself, the eternal presence of God among his people. Now, as you know, King Solomon, another son of David, also constructed a temple for God, a magnificent building made by the best craftsmen, but even as God's glory descended on this incredible edifice, Solomon knew that this wasn't what God had in mind. Will God indeed dwell on the earth? Solomon asked. Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. And he begged that God would at least incline his ear to the prayers that were said in that temple. God condescended, but only for a time, as even King Solomon could not remain faithful. Perhaps one of the first signs should have been that Solomon's own house, his palace, was five times as large as the temple he built for God.
But the people of Israel were so enamored of Solomon's temple that they imagined that God was with them just because the building stood there. The temple, the temple, the temple, they said. Meanwhile, they were cruel, and they shed blood, and they went after other gods. They, too, had fallen victim to this basic deception that somehow the work of human hands can be eternal, that somehow something they had constructed could be divine. They forgot that God was bringing this world to an end. As the disciples of Jesus were marveling at the beauty of the temple, he said to them, Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. That can be a dreadful realization. The realization that nothing lasts. Not temples, not churches, not altars, much less the other parts of our lives to which we are so dedicated. Not wealth, not success, not people. Just as the temple would be destroyed, so too, eventually, will all the works of our hands. Not only are we unable to build a house for God, we cannot even build a house for ourselves. Perhaps because it is so dreadful, we tend to ignore it. And instead, we invest ourselves all the more in crafting our lives, storing up for ourselves corruptible treasures. We should know better. We should know that we can't ever build a home for God or a home for ourselves that is anything more than a house of cards. But this realization, the realization that nothing lasts, that everything passes away, it isn't meant to make you despair. Instead, it's meant to shake you loose from setting your hearts on earthly things. It's meant to make you groan, as St. Paul said in our epistle lesson, to make you groan realizing that everything you see is clothed in mortality, in death. But anticipating that day when what is mortal will be swallowed up in life. It's meant to remind you that God has promised to build you a house. He has promised you an eternal home. Remembering that promise is so important because you cannot imagine an eternal home. You have only ever seen things that are transient, things that do not last. But the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which you cannot judge with your eyes. You cannot look at a mustard seed and discern its potential. If you dropped it in the dirt, it would be lost forever. And yet, by God's design and by God's craftsmanship, that seed produces a plant which is enormous by contrast. If you dismiss the mustard seed because it's so unimpressive, then you will never look forward to the full-grown plant that comes from it. Paul reminds us that this life is as unimpressive as a mustard seed. But we're looking forward to a heavenly dwelling. What you possess right now is a seed of faith, a hope in the resurrection of Jesus, who is the grain of wheat that fell into the earth and died. What you have right now is a word of promise, 
and the pledge of that promise in Christ's resurrected body and blood. What you have is Christ himself, Emmanuel, God with us, the Word dwelling among us, not in a house made with hands, but in our very own flesh and blood, the Lord who is our dwelling place in all generations. You cannot look into the heavens and see an eternal home built by God. You cannot look at your aging and dying bodies and see life and glory. You cannot look at the water in the font and see salvation. You cannot look at the bread and the wine and see the forgiveness of sins. But we walk by faith and not by sight. And so for us, that mustard seed is far more than meets the eye. For us, the crucifixion of Jesus is far more than meets the eye. For us, so too is this life, this life in which everything finally passes away. This life is far more than meets the eye. I recently read a letter that Martin Luther wrote during a particularly violent time. In fact, the horror and lawlessness that he witnessed made him think that Judgment Day was at hand. He didn't think that he would live much longer. In this letter, he told a friend about his plans. If I can manage it, he wrote, before I die, I will still marry my Katie to spite the devil. This wasn't some sort of a tragic romance like Romeo and Juliet. In fact, Luther said rather unromantically before their marriage that he wasn't in love with Katie. He admired her and esteemed her, which probably wasn't much consolation, but they married anyways, despite the fact that this wasn't an affair of passion. He married to spite the devil as an act of faith, that although the world was ending all around him, although everything was so plainly awash in mortality, he believed God's promise that even in this ordinary fleeting thing, a marriage which had no apparent future, there was more than meets the eye. Because it wasn't simply something that he was doing. Because God's promises and blessings are not just for this life, but for eternity. By living and loving even now in this passing earthly home, he was confident that he was doing God's work. And God's work, unlike yours and mine, is eternal. Your job while you're in this world is not to invest yourself in this life as though by pouring your sweat into it, you'll make something out of it. It is instead to invest yourself in this life, living and loving in every setting that God has given you because he has given you a promise and a blessing. When you go to school or go to work, when you love your parents or your children or your spouse or your neighbor, remember that there is far more than meets the eye. Your life and your love, even now, are given to you by God, and they are aimed at eternity. In every part of your life, as fleeting and ordinary as it may be, you who have been washed with the blood of Christ, you are doing God's work, and God's work is eternal. You who have been washed in the blood of Christ are meant for a heavenly dwelling, where nothing passes away and everything is life and love. 
In the holy name of Jesus, amen.